Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. About a month ago, I uh, spoke with Kate Nicholson, who's the founder of the National Pain Advocacy Center in the United States, civil rights attorney, national expert on disability law in the United States, former lawyer for the United States Department of Justice and a chronic pain patient herself. And uh, Kate and I have spoken for years about the issue of chronic pain in uh, in, in North America, she's taken a great interest in, in this country, people with chronic pain. Millions, millions of people, millions of people live with disabling, uh, horrible chronic pain. And uh, the, the situation is not getting any better. So Kate is back with us on, uh, on the program. How are you, Kate? Doing very well. Nice to be here, Roy. Uh, good to have you with us. And uh, when, we, when we aired the last program with Kate, which was uh, middle of March, we're joined by Dr. Hans Clark, who's the Director of Pain Services and the Medical Director of the Pain Research Unit at Toronto General Hospital. Uh, Dr. Clark plays a leading role in educating the Canadian public about pain control, appropriate opioid prescribing, and misconceptions about opioid use. Dr. Clark, good to have you back with us. Always a pleasure, Roy. Thanks again. But before I get to some of the issues that uh, I, all three of us want to talk about, let me just start at the beginning with you, Kate, on who makes up uh, who makes up the uh, the National Pain Advi- Advocacy Center and what's the mission statement? Sure. Um, so Hans is part of our uh, our team. Um, it is made up of what we think um, are all the players needed for good pain policy. So we have a number of professional clinicians and researchers in various issues affecting people with pain. We have addiction specialists and experts. We have experts in drug and public health policy, as well as experts in civil, human, and disability rights, working uh, sort of hand-in-hand and alongside a rich group of people with lived experience of pain, as well as some people in recovery from addiction. Right, and you challenge... I'm sorry, Sorry. go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Kate. Um, Our mission is just to advance the health and human rights of people living with pain. Um, We sort of envision a world in which pain is treated equitably and effectively so people in pain, like everyone else, can lead full, productive lives. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Clark, pain is the leading cause of disability in the United States, likely Canada as well. But chronic pain has been written off as merely an annoyance by the likes of the prime minister of this country, Justin Trudeau, and a former U.S. attorney general. You're a pain specialist. Tell us what's what's the reality. What's the real truth here? I think the reality is that uh, uh, we've we've come around a bit in the country to realize that this isn't something to write off. Uh, It's been paired with clearly, you know, the opioid crisis that you and Kate have talked about uh, many times over. And so now we do have the federal government investing in a Canadian pain task force. That report is forthcoming. I think the Minister of Health will hopefully look at what innovations are being suggested in that document. And as Kate has put forth this you know, fantastic group of stakeholders together in the U.S., it really is something we would like to mimic here in Canada and get those stakeholders to the table uh, with the exact same groups that Kate identified and, and start to look at what we're going to do over the next five to ten years for those 20 to 30 percent of Canadians living with chronic pain. As you said, Roy, it's not something to write off. This is, in Canada also, you know, the major cause of disability. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to people who've attempted suicide. I've talked to um, spouses of people who have committed suicide, so widows and widowers, because of the agony they lived in. 
and, uh, and and lost their doctors and lost their opioid pain prescriptions, which had allowed them, uh, uh, afforded them some quality of life for a considerable period of time. And then suddenly, because of uh, political considerations and the flavor of the, of the, of the year, they've been uh, abandoned. They don't have their doctors anymore. They don't have their meds anymore. Kate, uh, on the opioid issue, let's, let's go to that and policies. And we look at, it was the Center for Disease Control recommendations that um, that were adopted in the United States and then made their way into Canada and uh, basically were, were, were adopted here almost to the letter. Uh, just share with us, please, that particular policy, how you see it and what it's done to, not for, but to the chronic pain patients in, in both countries. Sure. So um, just in full disclosure, I am actually an appointed member at this point of the work group that will be reviewing the new CDC guidelines. So I'm not speaking in that official capacity. But what I have seen um, over the years is really a a misapplication largely of the CDC guideline by policymakers. So the CDC guideline was intended to apply to primary care providers um, and to provide guidance. It wasn't, uh, although certainly coming from the CDC, it, it carried weight, but it was not a a strict limit on use of prescribed opioids. But what has happened in the United States since it uh, was issued is that many states fixed very specific policies that only allowed a certain amount of pain medication to be used, um, particularly, for example, for acute prescribing. And also um, a lot of the DEA um, and medical state medical board started looking at what was intended as guidance for starting an initial opioid naive patient on opioids um, uh, dosage guidance, um, but has been sort of used as a, a strict quality of, of care standard and as a way to sort of uh, oversee physicians and patients. And, and those misapplications have really caused uh, a lot of difficulty and uh, panic among providers. Human Rights Watch did an important report at the end of 2018 about what was happening. People were being um, denied care, abandoned by their providers, subjected to dangerous forced opioid cessation practices that we now know can actually increase the risk of death, um, and facing mounting barriers to getting access to medication. Um, so those have been, you know, really dangerous consequences. And and before this group formed, a lot of us worked together on trying to fight some of these policies. We met with the CDC to urge them to make a public-facing sort of corrective, which they did, saying that this was a misapplication of the guidance. Um, We worked on stopping a bad policy in Oregon that would have effectively tapered about 100,000 people who are Medicaid patients off their medication, also with no safety protocols involved. So um, some progress has been made, but what I'm seeing is that even though the CDC came out and issued a corrective, um, it's not trickling down to the lives of patients. I still hear from patients every single day who are being abandoned in care. I don't hear from them as much as you do, but I certainly hear from at least several times a week. I hear from people who feel like they're in a a very desperate situation. Dr. Clark, from the uh, Canadian perspective, for the Canadian pain patient, um, and and again, I'm hearing, look, I used to have a doctor. I used to have a prescription. It was refilled. I had the same doctor. We understood each other. It afforded me some quality of life. I could go ahead and live my life. Now I can't move. Now I feel like ending my life. What's um, what's the reality with the the barriers that are set up to uh, getting the prescriptions that, 
that pain patients had been receiving for years. What's going on in this country? What what are what are the pain patients facing? Yeah, Roy. I mean, that's so complex. Uh, you know, let me just start by saying that you know, it, right now things are a little bit more desperate for sure, uh, given some of the issues uh, you know that go along with where we are from a COVID nineteen perspective. And so, I, I can even say, you know, uh, you know, very kind of sheepishly that I've lost some patients in the past several months, and every one of those losses is devastating, and, and it just speaks to where we are. And and I haven't had many of those losses in in the in the years past, and so. You know, what's happened here, Roy, is that really we have, uh, you know, the, the whole piece of we're worried about people diverting some of these opioids and things of that nature. But what's happening is we're creating restrictive policies. And, you know, the, the medical community is getting afraid to use these opioids when they're needed. And you have a legacy of all of these patients that have been on these medications for years, as you've highlighted. And so as we create more restrictive practices and, and more fear around this medication, what's happening is you're, you're, you're seeing two individuals in particular that are at very high risk, and they're that chronic pain patient who has been on these medications for quite some time, and also, on the other end, those that may be at risk for that opioid use disorder. And so, you know, that might be 8% if you look at Nora Volkow's um, uh, data in the U.S. And so you've got both sides of the coin here to look at, and, and the fact is, we, you know, we really, I honestly really think that some of those highest risk patients of, of, of you know, fatal overdoses and things in the year, years ahead are those high dose opioid patients that are, are really now either being forced tapered or having a hard time finding a physician because you can see that, you know, no one should be forced tapered. And this has to be something that you, you talk about with your patient. And if someone gets destabilized as a physician, we have to pause and think about what we're doing. And so, you know, so many, so many more things to talk about, but I'll pause there, Roy. Yeah, well, I've heard uh, doctors tell me, not on the air, well, initially they did, uh, when I first started talking about it, some did, but not not now, that uh, they actually feel intimidated by uh, colleges of physicians and surgeons. They just don't feel that they should be prescribing opioids any longer, even though they may have for a patient for a long period of time, because they're afraid of, uh, of repercussions. Fair, fair statement on their behalf, Dr. Clark? Yeah, you know what, I think at first, as with everyone, when these guidelines came out, and we all know that there were some of the CBC folks that sat on the Canadian Guideline Committee as well, for sure, BC was the first to adopt it as almost a standard of practice. And, you know, it, there was this feel that these colleges are now policing us. They, you know, the colleges, to their credit, have stepped back, and they have made statements in the last couple of years, but the fear has still, you know, is still there in the background. And so it's taken a while for people to understand that there is no, you know, witch hunt or manhunt for you if you are, are, are helping your pain patients in a, in a predicament where they, where they are now and, and how we move that forward. And so we just have to keep distilling that information. There are guidelines and there are reasons that we have these guidelines to help protect future patients. And we know that what we did for the past three decades is not necessarily what we should do for the next three decades. But certainly what we're doing now, we really have to pause, take a step back, and really deliver the messaging that will help fix this at the moment. Kate, uh, what you're doing as, at the center is something I haven't seen done before, and that is you're putting together these tremendously powerful and well-informed and committed groups of people, professionals, who are engineering or attempting to create proper pain policy. Talk to us about that. Um, yeah, right. That's uh, something that we really wanted to do. A lot of us have worked together um, on an ad hoc basis as bad policies have come up um, through the years. Uh, some of those that we talked about uh, recently, we we helped defeat a 
what would have been a strict federal three-day limit to opioid prescribing um, for initial prescriptions, for example, that we've seen overreach to chronic pain patients and patients in palliative care as uh, those limits have been imposed by the state. But we also wanted to have a sort of prospective policy agenda for pain, and we really felt like everyone needed to seat at at the table for that. I will say, though, that having spoken to some patient advocates in Canada, um, one of the ways in which you got the Canadian task force um, was uh, with people with pain and, and people wanting to address the overdose crisis coming together. A lot of uh, pain advocates have been trying to get chronic pain on the agenda for years in this country and weren't able to. And it was only in part through arguing that in order to really solve this crisis, we need all sides to come together, um, that they got, you know, sort of a federal task force. So we are, um, you know, we want to have a big tent. We want everyone to have a seat at the table. We want uh, people with expertise in all of these fields, as well as, as I said, um, a lot of people with lived experience because um, people with lived experience have also been sort of shut out of research and, and discussions and policy considerations for these policies that affect their very lives and yeah. ability to conduct their lives. Dr. Clark, talk to us, please, about the Canadian Task Force on uh, pain and uh, and what they're doing. And, and what's the message that Canadians need to understand about prescription opioid medication? So that's there, Roy. I think first the easy one is to explain the Canadian Pain Task Force. So it's uh, the two leaders are actually one of a one of them is a good colleague of mine, uh, an anesthesiologist at uh, Sick Kids named Fiona Campbell. There's Maria Hudspeth out on the west coast, and they've been tasked with looking across the country and figuring out, you know, what some of those innovations in care are, where we sit from a pain um, care perspective, what those glaring gaps are, you know, and and as Kate said, we really got this voice and the seat at the table because we were able to bring this all together. I remember I was pretty unpopular in about 2014. When I said, look, as a, as a pain community, we have to admit that there is a portion, a small portion of our patients that do land down the opioid use disorder track. But if we can get everybody together and, and look at what's next, then we can start to bring all of those stakeholders together at the table. And so that's kind of what's happening now. So they have just actually, if I'm not mistaken, submitted their final task force. Um, documents to the uh, Minister of Health, and there will be hopefully a follow-up based on that document that surveyed the entire country in terms of what some of those care gaps and and needs are. So I think what Canadians need to know is that it it is a time right now that is desperate. We do know that the, the chronic pain population in particular has had significant fallout from the issue that Kate highlighted where we are creating policies around drugs, we're creating policies around things without the voices being there to see those unintended consequences for our pain patients when we create these restrictive prescribing policies. Kudos to her. If we were ever to do something like have a three-day limit on all opioid prescriptions nationally, I can show you a bigger land of unintended consequences than, than we see now. And what we have to realize is that all of these policies we've created for the past five years have not curbed any of these opioid issues because, you know, the, the illicit sentinel part of the, of the game is still out there. We know that most overdoses occur from illicit opioids as well as the, you know, And Dr. Clark, I, sorry to interrupt you. Those. Sorry to interrupt you. I literally have 20 seconds. No problem. Um, so, so let me just direct everyone to nationalpain.org. Nationalpain.org is the website for the National Pain Advocacy Center. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever 
you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.